welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. You're invited to join us on air asking your questions by calling in on the local rate phone numbers in the UK and the US, which can be found on ldnradio.org. Thank you for joining us. Today we're joined by Jill Brook, who's a nutritionist and researcher. Jill also suffers with severe POTS and MCAD and takes LDN. She's one of the research advisors to the LDN Research Trust. And she had a birthday yesterday, but I won't tell you how old she is. This show is sponsored by our members who made donations. We'd like to give them a very big thank you. We have to cover the monthly costs of the radio station's software, bandwidth, phone lines and phone calls to be able to continue with the radio show. And thank you for listening. So thank you for joining us, Jill. Thank you for having me. So could you explain what it is we should be doing diet-wise, nutrition-wise, which will help the LDN work properly? Sure, sure thing. So as you know, there's not a lot of research on LDN yet, and that's the whole reason that you and the LDN Research Trust exist. But there are a lot of doctors who are very experienced with LDN who have told us that LDN works better when you completely avoid gluten in your diet, when you avoid dairy, and when you avoid all your um, personal allergens and food triggers. And that requires doing an elimination diet to probably figure out what those are, but it's worth it because once you do and avoid them, your LDN can work better. Um, there's also some, some thinking that LDN works better when you are vitamin D replete, which means you have enough of it. And there's some debate as to what that means to have enough vitamin D. Um, but the head of Harvard Nutrition says 75 nanomoles per liter in your blood. And so, you know, we could take that as a starting point. Um, so basically, yeah, those things, if you do those, your LDN should theoretically work better. What diet should people be following? I know there are so many people out there who get completely confused. There are so many conflicting diets yeah, it is, it is overwhelming the number of different diets out there and the amount of different um, advice. And so what I like to do is to take in all of it and look at how much of it agrees. So to a large extent, all the differing advice does agree on a whole lot of things. And so we can start there. So they all agree that we should remove inflammatory foods. And inflammatory foods for everybody include gluten, sugar, anything else that's high glycemic, which means it raises your blood sugar a whole lot. So even fresh fruit juice goes in that category. 
Um, anything that's fried or that has trans fats is going to raise inflammation. Um, anything that gets your ratio of omega-6 fatty acids to omega-3 fatty acids higher is going to cause inflammation. So that means things like processed cooking oils like corn oil or canola oil will do it. Uh, processed meats of any kind, any cheap meat certainly raises inflammation. And there's quite a bit of evidence to suggest that eating meat at all can raise inflammation. And we can talk about that because that's one of the more controversial subjects, um, whether you ought to go vegetarian or vegan or not. Um, but certainly the cheap meat and the processed meat is going to raise inflammation. And then pretty much any added chemicals have a good chance of raising inflammation. Um, and even some additives that are natural, for example, carrageenan is an additive that you find in a lot of dairy products or um, non-dairy milks. And even though it's made from seaweed, it appears to cause gut inflammation. So avoiding those things is sort of number one. Number two, I mentioned already, which is to figure out what are your own unique triggers by doing an elimination diet. And some of the most common things would be dairy, nuts, shellfish, soy, peanuts, corn, or nightshade vegetables, um, which are like the tomatoes, the bell peppers, eggplant, chili peppers, goji berries. And not very many people are allergic or have um, issues with any one of those things, but um, as people who struggle with autoimmune disorders, we are the people who are probably going to have a higher rate of having some of those triggers. So figuring those out um, is number one, so you can get that inflammation down. And then number two is more fun because it's all the things that you do get to eat, and that's the things that reduce inflammation. Um, and incidentally, research shows that you'll be a happier on your diet if you think more about what you should eat than what you shouldn't eat. Um, so that would be basically all the colorful plants the fruits, the vegetables especially, and as much variety as possible. So not just variety in colors, you know, they always say eat the rainbow, but also variety in parts of the plant, whether it's the roots or the leaves or the shoots um, or the flower, um, getting in just as much as possible. Um, other plant foods would be things like nuts and some people um, would say that you want to soak those or sprout those first to make them even healthier. Um, certainly green tea, white tea, red tea, other kinds of tea are anti-inflammatory as well as lots of herbs and spices. Um, probably everyone's heard about the turmeric and the ginger, but cloves and rosemary have also been shown to have really high anti-inflammatory properties um, as does garlic if you can um, handle it. Um, other anti-inflammatory foods are ones that have lots of omega-3 fatty acids. So that would be the oily fish, like the Alaska salmon. Um, unfortunately, fish is getting more polluted as we pollute our oceans more. So that's another one where I feel a little bit conflicted. But um, Alaska salmon seems to be the choice among experts if you um, want a reliably clean fish with a good omega-3 profile. Mm -hmm. 
And then finally, um, the last thing is you want to eat foods that make your microbiome happy. And um, I'm guessing our listeners all know by now that the microbiome is like the trillion other cells that live on you besides your own body cells. It's all the organisms, the bacteria and the whatnot that live in your mouth and in your gut and in your armpits and all over. And um, we've been ignoring them for a long time. We didn't realize that they did so many important things for us. Um, they help us digest food, they make vitamins, they help keep our immune system working properly, they inhibit the growth of pathogens, and when we treat them right, they will do all kinds of good things for us, but when we treat them, them wrong um, and they get out of balance, then all kinds of bad things happen. So um, eating the foods and having the habits that keep the microbiome happy, I think is um, kind of the next frontier for a lot of research. And so... That would involve doing things like eating probiotic foods that have the healthy bacteria in them, like fermented vegetables such as sauerkraut or kimchi. Um, yogurt is fermented. If you want to avoid dairy, there's non-dairy yogurts made from like almond milk or coconut milk. Um, kombucha is a drink that is um, very yummy and has those probiotics in it. Um, you can also eat prebiotic foods, which are the, the foods, the fibers that the healthy bacteria need to thrive and grow on. And so if you Google those, you'll find a long list. My favorites are avocado, jicama, dandelion greens, but there's a bunch more. Um, and then things that make your microbiome get out of balance are things we kind of already knew, eating too much sugar, eating too many processed carbohydrates, um, and eating fake foods, for example, um, fake sweeteners, for example. Um, they finally figured out why eating fake sweeteners and diet soda didn't make people lose weight. Um, and it was through their effect on the gut. So, um, so that's a really long answer um, as to kind of what are, the, what are the things that are universally agreed upon that you can do um, to, to eat to help manage an autoimmune disorder. There's a lot of other things that have less evidence and that are maybe more debatable or not. And, um, and I'm all for doing a lot of self-experiments if they intrigue you. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, but I think that these are the things that everyone can agree on. I'm sure there are people out there who are thinking, my diet is really bad. And you talked about an elimination diet. How would somebody who has never looked at their diet before go about looking to eliminate foods? So the easiest way to do an elimination diet, and I should say it's not easy. I, I think an elimination diet honestly might be one of the more challenging things you do <laughs> Um, because it's just such a monumental hassle. But the best way to do it is to spend some time getting ready, set aside a few weeks where you are just going to eat some very simple few foods that you know you feel good on. And I find that for some people it'll be something like chicken and broccoli and brown rice. Um, different people have different foods that work for them. But you start out very, very simple, and you do that for a couple of weeks so that you get everything else out of your system. And it's hard because obviously real life is going to bring along temptations and whatnot. But the, the more you can do it, the more it will pay off forevermore. Because after you do that, you kind of have a clean slate. 
and you can add in one food at a time for a few days at a time. And you want to start with just a little, you know, that first morning when you decide you're going to try, um, you know, maybe it's tomatoes, whatever food it is, try just a little bit. If you feel okay, a few hours later, you're going to have a few more bites. If you still feel okay, a few hours later, eat, you know, maybe a cup, see how you feel for the next two days. And if you feel fine, now tomatoes are on the list and you can add those in. If you don't feel fine, then you know that those are off. And you keep doing that with all the different foods that you're wondering about until you have a pretty good idea of what is, uh, what is safe and what is triggering you to not feel so good. And, yes, it's laborious. It's a huge pain in the neck, and it's, it's worth it, though. <laughs> and what about the blood tests? I'm a big fan of Oh, I'm sorry? And what about the blood tests you can have that can show what foods you should avoid? So there are lots of blood tests out there, but according to the research, none of them are very reliable. So you could certainly try them and you could certainly see if they help you. Um, but on average, um, most are not found to correlate very highly with the symptoms that people feel, unfortunately. Because mm -hmm. that's yeah, that would be so nice if you could just take one test and be done with it. <laughs> Yes, that, that, that just sounds too simple, doesn't it? But I do like the idea of the the fresh start and introducing one food at a time. That way, you know for sure um, whether you can eat that food or not. So I think that is a, a really good idea. So what I would like to do now is to tell people if they would like to call in. We're going to have a break in a moment, but if you would like to start to take your calls any um, dietary questions, nutrition that you would like to ask Jill. The numbers to call in on, there are local rate numbers in England and America. Um, you go to, if you just put in your browser, ldnradio.org, the numbers will be there and we'll be back with you in a couple of minutes. Thank you. The LDN Health Tracker app, called My LDN, is available free for Androids, iPhones, Macs, PCs, iPads and notebooks. The app allows you to keep track of all your medications, pain levels, sleep, quality of life, etc. You can print out graphs and charts to take to your doctor. Full details on the LDN Research Trust website. You can keep a journal so you won't ever forget anything again and set alarms. The app is free and all your information is held securely and anonymously. By using the app, you'll be taking part in the world's largest LDN survey, anonymously. Any questions, please email me, linda at ldnrt.org. show is sponsored by our members who made donations. We'd like to give them a very big thank you. We have to cover the monthly costs of the radio station's software, bandwidth, phone lines and phone calls to be able to continue with the radio show. And thank you for listening.
Okay, welcome back, Jill. I've been thinking about what you were saying. Now, how does willpower come into this? It's not going to be easy to follow healthy eating. What does research show? Yeah, that is a really good point because, yeah, the research shows that the hard part isn't so much knowing what to do. It's the doing it consistently day in and day out. And so interestingly, what the research says about willpower is whenever possible, don't rely on it. Um, you know, because willpower is a fair weather friend and it's absolutely proven that willpower will fail you um, more often when you are tired, hungry, if you have low blood pressure, uh, low blood sugar, if you are distracted. And so there's all kinds of situations where it'll fall through. So instead, the best advice is to rely on several other things. For example, environmental engineering. There's all kinds of really fun research about how small changes in your environment can have a huge impact on your eating habits. And um, if, if anyone's interested in, in a lot of fun and funny research, check out Brian Wansink at uh, the Cornell University um, Department of Nutrition. And what he finds, for example, is if you put a candy jar three feet away from someone versus six feet away from someone, you can impact how much candy they eat by some huge amount, something like 30%, just because they have to reach a little further. Um, he's done studies where he'll put um, a barrier in between you and the, the candy jar. So it's just a little bit harder to reach. Or he'll use an opaque candy jar instead of a translucent candy jar so that um, you can't see the candy. And that will cut down on, um, on snacking by a whole lot just because you can't see it. And so what they find is just having a little bit of tempting junky food in your environment will make you eat more of it. And even if it doesn't make you eat more of it, it'll drain your willpower so that you'll have worse eating habits later on. So the first thing you can do is just go through your kitchen, your home, your car, your office, and uh, basically do nutritional feng shui. Get the healthy stuff where you can see it and get at it more easily. Put the unhealthy stuff where it's a little bit harder to get, and that'll have a really big impact. Um, another big um, piece of advice is to use the people around you. So, for example, they find that just spending time with like-minded people, people who eat healthier, has a huge impact on your habits. They find that your weight is largely influenced by the weight of the people that you spend time with and the people that they spend time with. There's an interesting network effect. Um, they also find that if you are to... Um, talk about your goals out loud to other people, you're more likely to meet them. And if you make friendly bets with people, um, that you're more likely to stick to them and um, have fun doing it. So um, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, just teasing people and saying, you know, hey, I bet you, you know, I'll eat fewer cookies than you will at this holiday party. And just by making a friendly bet, you get a really big change in behavior, the research suggests. Um, another thing you can do is harness the power of routines because probably everyone's familiar with how on that first day that you drive to a new job, it is a lot of work and you have to think about your driving route. But once you've done it the same time, the same way every day, it gets so automatic that you don't even think about it. 
And the same is definitely true for eating. So if you get in the habit of grocery shopping at the same time in the same place, and maybe you always start with the produce section, um, that'll become routine and you're, you're likely to stop even thinking about those aisles at the grocery store that contain all the junky stuff. Um, if you get in the habit of doing the same few breakfasts day in and day out, you'll stop even wanting the, the pastries because you're not thinking anymore. You're just in your set routine of doing the healthy stuff. Um, so those can be some things people do. Um, other things are to find non-edible rewards because a lot of the times that we're eating junky food, we're doing it to relax or to celebrate or to feel good or to relieve um, some tension or loneliness. And if you have a good list of non-edible things that'll give you the same reward, it can be, uh, it can be very helpful. Um, and then one of my favorite ones, they call it making a Ulysses contract. And that's where, in a moment of goodwill power, you basically make a deal that makes it impossible for you to have bad willpower at the moment when you're at your weakest. So, um, for example, if you're in a moment of goodwill power, maybe you uh, walk into a party and you, you tell the hostess that you can't have dessert because you're having a blood test in the morning. Well, what are you going to do now, right? You're stuck. You're, <laughs> you're not going to have dessert no matter how bad you want it because then you'll be, then you'll be caught lying. And so um, that's kind of a whole category of things that um, they will say because the, the researchers who study willpower will be the first to tell you not to rely on it. Okay. Well, we've got a caller next, and his name's Ed, and he wanted to ask about sugar alternatives. So that's a very good question. Hello, Ed. Are you there? We sometimes... Hi. Yes, ah, I'm here. Um, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, so I have arthritis, uh, and I'm attempting to kick the sugar habit with uh, a moderate success, not a whole lot of success, to be honest. Um, so I'm wondering if there's any tricks that I can employ to help me do that, um, uh, including uh, artificial sweeteners. Is that something that I should consider, and is that, is that the type of thing that uh, might help me kick the sugar habit? Thanks. Okay, yeah, that is a really great question because, unfortunately, most of us were you know, raised on some amount of sugar, and it's being proven to be truly addictive. And so that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. Um, and so the first question about using fake sweeteners, um, in the past there have been some um, nutritionists who have said, go ahead and use fake sweeteners as a bridge to getting off of sweeteners because it'll train your brain to not associate uh, ener good energy with um, the sweet taste. But now they're, they're changing their mind on that because the latest, the latest findings about fake sweeteners are all bad. I mean, the terrible, actually. It's a pretty high priority to get fake sweeteners out of your diet because um, most of them do bad things to the microbiome and they do bad things to your brain. Um, so, for example, NutraSweet is one where it is thought to be so unbelievably sweet, sweeter than sugar, that um, it actually can, can mess with your neurotransmitters and make it so that that brief high you get from it 
is so high that when you come down from it, you're at a lower baseline. So there's some thinking that um, that doing some of those fake sweeteners sets you up for mood disorders or struggling with, um, you know, maybe a tendency toward more depression. Um, and that getting off of them can, can be very helpful. Um, the good news about getting off them also is that your microbiome uh, tends to recover within a couple of weeks of getting off of them. So um, that's the bad news about fake sweeteners. But the good news is there are some good tricks for giving up sugar. Um, for example, anything that helps you um, balance your blood sugar more helps. So getting more sleep and eating a healthier diet, um, lowering stress. Um, they find that people who drink more coffee are more successful at giving up sugar. Um, but by far the, the biggest thing I can recommend is to get to know your taste buds and really pamper them. And this, if, if people take away anything, this would be the, the thing that I would remember from this, um, is that your taste buds only live for about four weeks and then they die and new ones grow back. So it's like hair. And those new fresh taste buds, those virgin taste buds that have never sensed anything before, they are super sensitive. So they think that a pecan is super sweet. They think that celery is very salty. And, you know, if they were to taste an Oreo cookie, it would be downright painful to them. But with repeated exposure to over-flavored things and um, very sweet or very salty things, they, they basically get blitzed. They get desensitized. And so for the rest of their short life of four weeks, you don't get as much flavor out of that taste bud. So the upshot is that if you can go a couple weeks resisting over-flavored processed foods, now you're developing more and more of these fresh virgin taste buds who just get a lot more sensation out of everything. So now you eat, you know, you eat a raw almond and it tastes like a creamy, sweet, um, beautiful explosion in your mouth. And, you know, something like a brownie would just hurt. It wouldn't even be good anymore. And so you can, you can play with this. You can see for yourself. And you'll even notice, for example, um, that overnight your taste buds get more sensitive. So if you have pizza at night, and then you eat the leftovers in the morning, a lot of people think it tastes better, right? Um, well, that's your taste buds getting more sensitive. Mm. And so um, keeping that in mind helps a lot of people. And, um, and a few easy things you can do to help your taste buds get more sensitive is to get rid of things that blitz them with no benefit. So, for example, a lot of toothpaste are over-flavored, and if you just switch to a more natural one, then you won't start your day by blitzing your taste buds. Um, same thing with mouthwash. Um, now, mouth mouthwash probably isn't a great idea anyway because we talked about those um, healthy bacteria in your mouth, but, um, you know, if you start your day brushing your teeth and then blitzing your, your taste buds with mouthwash, then, of course, by the time you hit breakfast, an apple tastes like nothing. And in order to get any flavor, you need something, you know, like a pastry or a Pop-Tart. And so, um, so pampering those taste buds will, um, I think, be the ultimate answer because then you don't even like sugar. And when you do crave something a little bit sweet, then something natural, you know, an apple will, will more than do it because you'll be getting way more flavor than you're even getting now. Um, so I hope that, that that's the best that I know of. Can that's I that's just, where I've seen people have the most success. Can I just ask a quick question? I've eliminated sugar from my diet 
but I've been eating coconut sugar. Is coconut sugar a mm -hmm. no-no as well, or is that okay? That's a good question. I haven't seen any research on that, but my guess is that it's probably more natural. I believe it's lower glycemic, and so I think um, I think that that is a better alternative. But in the end, um, it's not as good as eating, you know, real actual fresh coconuts. Um, but it's probably certainly better. Yeah. Yeah. This is sort of the lifelong, none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect either. My, my evil thing is, uh, you know, liking a little stevia here and there. And it's tough because the sweet flavor is the one that's proven, you know, it's in your biology. That sweet flavor is the one that makes a baby stop crying and smile. So we're up against a pretty tough biological instinct there. Um, so what we can do is just keep fighting our best fight. Does that answer your question, Ed? Yes, it does. Thanks a lot. That was really helpful. Okay, thank you. The LDN Research Trust has an LDN Vimeo channel. I have interviewed over 550 LDN prescribers, researchers, pharmacists and patients from around the world for many conditions. You can find the link on the LDN Research Trust website. If you'd like to be interviewed sharing your experience, please email me, linda at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you.